Hi, everybody. This is Tracy, and I'm delighted you've joined me for this episode of Good Life Stories. I created this podcast because I believe we are all seeking connection, and what better way to do that than through story? So get ready. These stories are meant to suck you in. Welcome to Good Life Stories. Hey, everybody, this is Tracy. Welcome to this episode of Good Life Stories. I am sitting today with Andrea Kohler. She's going to share some amazing stories uh, from perspectives on blue hair to divorce and being diagnosed with ADHD as an adult. Uh, She is the founder of Coloring Broadway and The Coloring Project. So excited for you guys to hear more about both those things. Welcome to Good Life Stories. Hey everybody, this is Tracy with Good Life Stories. I'm so excited to be sitting here today with my friend, Andrea Kohler. I met her almost a decade ago. And uh, one of the things I love most about her is she taught me why coloring is amazing. So Andrea, thanks for joining me today. I'm super happy and excited to be here too, Tracy. So yay. So I want to just jump right into your three good life stories because we were talking about this and I'm absolutely dying to know right now. So please, if you will, tell tell me your blue hair story. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I love this blue hair story because it is one of the quintessential moments where perspective became real for me. Um, (laughs) And what I mean by that is I was at my... 20 year high school reunion, 15 year high school reunion. I don't remember exactly which reunion it was, but I find that I love to go to those reunions because it gives me different perspectives. But this one, um, I met somebody or I remet somebody that I had known in high school and they looked at me and they go, you were the one with blue hair. And I was (laughs) like, Oh, Oh my God. Oh, I can't believe this. Oh, yeah. And all of this like shame and humiliation came flooding up in me because for me, the blue hair story is I was 13, maybe 14 ish. I was at my friend's party. Their parents were out of town. I was the only, you know, like I was, I was always the fat kid in the group. So there was always a dynamic of me trying to fit in and not feeling comfortable and they had a a hot water tank. What is it? Uh, uh what? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> what do you call yeah. It? Do you, because words fail when you're in the moment. Um, yes. Uh, they had a hot tub. Thank you. You yeah. know, a hot water tank where you yeah. jump in, right? One of those big things. Yeah. So they had a hot tub. We had there had to have been like twenty or thirty kids there, and their parents weren't out of town. It was a Halloween ish party, yeah. um, and so people were getting into and out of the hot tub and I am not a kid who likes to put on a swimsuit in front of people and get into the hot tub, but I did. And I got into the hot tub and I soaked and we had fun and blah, blah, blah. And I got out and I went up to the bathroom to change my clothes. And I looked in the mirror. And at that point, for whatever reason in my life, I had decided that I wanted blonde hair. And so my hair was bleached blonde. It was about, you know, shoulder. It was kind of like a bob, but it was, it was, it was bleached. And now 
<laughs> my hair was not blonde. My hair was aqua blue because oh, the chemicals no. in the hot tub had reacted with my bleached hair and turned my hair blue. I couldn't get rid of it. I spent the rest of that party in the bathroom with with bleach, with, you know, whatever chemicals that we could try right. and get the blue out of my hair. I was devastated and mortified as a 13 year old with blue, oh, blue yeah. hair. And for any of you who are listening right now who think, well, that's normal. Like my 80 year old mother right now is where sporting blue hair and has for 20 years, 30 years ago, when this happened, it was not popular to dye your hair. Having blue hair was really, really alternative. It was weird. <laughs> it was weird. It was very much on the fringe. At the same time, I was hanging out with friends who had mohawks and all sorts yeah. of things. So I was with that, in which now you would call industrial, but it was like the punker crowd then. Yeah. Um, but so here it was, I was at this reunion and the guy who... I was being reintroduced to said, Hey, you're the oh, one God. with blue hair. And, and his immediate follow on for that was, I always thought you were so cool that you had so much confidence that you could have blue hair. And I loved it. And Oh my gosh. Like the perspective shift for me. Um, but all I could think of with this was, holy cow, what a freakishly different perspective we both had of the exact same situation. Yeah. I was mortified. I was so in my feelings of not good enough and trying to fit in and trying to be cool. And he, from the outside, looked at it and said, oh my God, how cool is this girl who has the confidence and the self-assurance and the creativity to have blue hair and doesn't care what people think? And I'm like, that could have been farther from the truth at that moment. But the, the flip was, you know, in all of the work that I do with leadership development and human skills development, this was one of those perspective shift moments where I was like, oh, this is why it's important for us to do the self-work to figure out what's going on inside and how we're reacting and understand that what it feels like from the inside isn't always what other people from the outside are seeing. So it was yeah. just such a brilliant like pop moment <laughs> that had me just realize that life, like people see things so differently. Yeah. So that yeah. is my blue hair story. I love it. I love the blue hair story. Oh my gosh. Um, so the next one that you had put down for our discussion was, divorce. <laughs> and I love that, you know, like I, you and I have known each other for a long time. And when you said that, like I had all sorts of different things that I think you're going to talk about come into my head. Yeah. Um, divorce is a crappy thing to go through. And I've had two of them, which is never a phrase I thought I would say out loud, let alone on a podcast. <laughs> Yay. My first divorce and my second divorce. But I recently went through my second divorce and it was like getting hit by a, by a Mack truck, like completely yeah. down for the count. But what it did have me do, like, it, obviously it's a dark moment. And when we started yeah. talking about it, you were like, well, you know, dark, but yeah, it is. I'm game with dark. <laughs> it's totally a dark moment. And it came, it was like 
when you know, when they say things come in threes, it was kind of the third thing, right? COVID hit, my uh, father passed away, and my husband up and left and was gone in five weeks with no wow. with no pre sort of uh, no preamble, no preamble, <laughs> no indication beforehand that he was unhappy. So it really kind of just hit me out of nowhere. Talk um, about a Mack truck. <laughs> It was really like a Mack truck and I was there on the pavement trying to like peel myself up. off. Yeah. And so, but with that, it, it was an opportunity and this is not me putting a positive psychology, toxic positivity yeah. spin on it. It sucked. I could use all the expletives that I'm guessing <laughs> doesn't like to use on her podcast. Um, but the flip side of it was, in working in human skills development and leadership development and the space of being committed to doing my work and, yeah. and being with that, it was an opportunity to put those into action yeah. as I moved out of it. There was definitely the, the, I can't move off the couch phase, but yeah. as I started to be able to move off the couch and allow myself to feel the feelings and allow myself to be with everything that was coming up and to really choose how I wanted to show up to the healing side of it. And this goes back to everything that we have talked about that brought us together in terms of my, um, yeah my passion project side business with coloring Broadway and other things. And with the work that I do with leadership development, both externally, like people that I work yeah. with and internally that I constantly work with in myself, but it was just the opportunity to put all of those tools into action and yeah. to test my own metal and see where it bends and see where I needed to do that. And the other thing that came out of it was a real emphasis on where do I really want to spend my energy? Mm. Because what came out of that was a, a look at who I was and how I had been showing up to the relationship because relationships are never just one-sided there. You know, no, there's the, there's each of the two people. There's if somebody could see down and looking at it and seeing how yep. each of those two people are, are interacting, right? Like it was, it was, what are my pieces to own? How do yeah. I want to own them? How do I want to look at not repeating those patterns in the future? And really, where do I want to put my energy moving forward? And so that has become a guiding principle in the things that I choose to add or continue doing, right? So with all of my amazing things that I like, all of my fingers and all of the pies that I like to create in my life, I realize that I only have two ovens, right? So <laughs> technically, I, have, I only have one and the pilot lights out and I don't know how to do it. So we won't it's talk just about faulty. that. It's just faulty. It's okay. It's yeah. just faulty. Like <laughs> something's wrong with it. But with that, like I only have one oven, but I have 13 pies going. And so it's, do I really need all of those 13 pies? Yeah. If, if I only have one oven, where do I cut back? Where do I put my energy and where do I choose not to put my energy? 
So that was yeah. like, you know, life lesson story, good life story was yeah. I went through this thing and this is what I took from it. So if you were taking somebody back to where they were plastered onto the road, feeling like they're still sitting on the couch mm. phase of the tools that you use to help you go from there to kind of step one. What'd you mm-hmm. pick up first? Like what, what are some of those tools? Like, can you give me kind of a quick rundown? Cause I realize I don't, you're talking about these tools and I don't know what they are and you know enough about them. You might be able to just give me a list or you might just have a good story about one or two of them. Well, one of them is the, is the feel a get a good therapist and by good, honestly, get a therapist and somebody you can talk to first yep. when you hit the point where that therapist isn't cutting the mustard cut and find another therapist um, because it's absolutely tantamount that you have somebody outside yourself to talk to. Got it. Um, The other, another tool is the feel all the feelings. Part of it is a lot of us try and put things back together and put a lid on it so that we can continue functioning. And I also, I appreciate the, privilege that I had to not have to do that immediately. Um, Not that I had like, not that I had time off of work for ages and ages, but I did have a community around me who created a space that I could just feel my feelings. And the flip side of that is to not make myself wrong for feeling all of those feelings. And that is a huge tool is to not add the shame layer of I shouldn't be feeling these feelings, but to have grace for feeling all of the feelings and to also allow yourself to understand that different days are going to be bring different feelings. And it's okay that it's um, that it's not it's not just a checklist like, okay, I felt this feeling. Now I can go on to this. Feeling. <laughs> right. so I've addressed I, this one. It's finished. Right. Yeah, no. Great. Like check. <laughs> I've done denial. Now I'm in, yeah. you know, like right. yeah, we've so, done denial. So <laughs> the stages, um, I work, uh, a lot in change leadership or in yeah. leading change, uh, change management is something you yeah. might hear a lot about. And that's all yeah. of the strategy and logistics of executing change. Um, It's all of your projects and your plans and all of the logical parts of it. But, but to lead change, you have to be aware of the, um, the human side of how we respond to change. And so working with the actual stages of change and learning about what they look like, what's in them, what shows up and that they're not linear like you don't just go through uh, uh, yes. denial into resistance into uh, you know exploration into acceptance no you go from denial to resistance back to denial <laughs> resistance maybe you know like it's a dance and it goes all over right. the place because i find you know i mean i think that when i talk to people about grief and loss you know and mm-hmm. divorce is one of those mm-hmm. you know that 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 dance is what messes with their head the most. Mm-hmm. You know, the, I was doing great and, and just insert yes. the and, and, and it was like, you know, like when I lost 
So I lost my mom and my mother-in-law in the same year within three months of each other. Mm-hmm. One of them expected, one of them unexpected. Yeah. And I think for like five years after that, every single time I was somewhere and they were complaining about their mother mm-hmm. or their mother-in-law. Yeah. I would, I, I just had to leave the room because mm-hmm. I had, I was ready to spit tax. I was so mad that that person was ungrateful that that human still existed, even if it was hard. Yeah. And, and that was not healthy. So like that, but yeah. it was something that just kept coming up. And I remember being so, you know, having that shame. Mm-hmm. Why am I still feeling this way? Why do I, why am I angry at this totally random person in a coffee shop for talking about their mother-in-law because I lost mine, you know? And that was the reason that comes up is because that was the piece that hung around the longest. And I remember being so consistently surprised yeah. by how much emotion that still triggered when it, when it, cause it wasn't all the time. It was kind of, I think it was probably more when I heard someone random that it w- versus when it was someone I knew, because if it was someone I knew, I could actually tell them, Oh my God, you have no idea. I'd give my right arm to be able to complain about my mother-in-law right now. Yeah. But like in those neutral situations, I couldn't just say, you should appreciate your mother-in-law. Well, and, <laughs> you know? and, and then there's the flip of like, you have no idea what their relationship is with, with said person and what's gone on. Exactly. But it's triggering you this response due to grief and due to right. what, what you've lost. And, and so that like working with the stages of change. So, mm. um, In the corporate world, we work in change leadership. I work with the four stages, but really um, Elizabeth Kubler-Russ identified, I believe, seven stages of grief. So don't don't like anybody listening to the podcast here. Don't be like, she said there was only four, but there's seven. Yeah, I'm just focusing (laughs) on those four. That is not the debate for this podcast. Just Um, FYI, you could leave it in the comments, but I don't know some people. um, But uh, so with that, there's there's that. And then I've been doing a lot of work with the Neuro Leadership Institute with my coaching practice and learning about. Oh, wait, so pause. Oh, yeah. Who are they? Who are they? What do they do? So the Neuro Leadership Institute is a phenomenal um, group. And what they do is they take neuroscience and they apply it to human behavior. And in their case, organizational change or organizational behavior. And so what they do, and this is where I was going, which was, I love the opportunity to connect these two things is looking at what goes on in our brain that causes the emotional reaction and responses, but through the lens of the type of situations that we're going through. So they have a beautiful model called the scarf model, which, which outlines the five social threats that trigger us into fight, flight, freeze, or fawn responses. And it has to do with our amygdala, which is our lizard brain emotional center that is so old that it overrides our prefrontal cortex which is our thinking brain our our logistics our thing that does all of the things that that thinks logically about right right and just like you said with your response to the ladies complaining about their mothers or mother mother mother-in-laws right that's not a logical response that is absolutely (laughs) 
a amygdala, what you would call amygdala hijack. And when our amygdala hijack. Oh, I love that. The amygdala hijack. Sorry, I'm writing that down. Yes. <laughs> um, when our amygdala hijacks our prefrontal cortex, we're not able to actually think logically, right? Like the whole, when people say, you know, I just wasn't thinking straight. That's absolutely true. When we are triggered emotionally, our capability to think through the same normal pathways that we would for a logical decision cease to operate, right? We jump around. If normally we go from A to B to C to D, now we're going from A to C to D to B to C and all over. We're not following (laughs) the normal pathway, right? So being able to catch myself in places where I knew that I was hijacked and making the choice to not make decisions or to not engage from a place of being hijacked is a really powerful thing. Now, did I do that all the time? Absolutely freaking not. There were definitely, <laughs> and still are to this day, there, there was an unfriending that just happened on Facebook around something where I was just like, nope, it's time. But it was actually, <laughs> right, it's time. it was the product of, I didn't want to do it from an emotionally charged place. Yeah. And this time there was a comment or a like on a thing. And I was just like, yep, I just don't want to see this anymore. And it was, I'm I'm just done. There was an emotional response, but then there was the capability of the logic that came with it that says, nope, I have waited long enough and I don't, I don't want this and it's okay. There were also lots of questions of like, is it okay for me to do this? And well, welcome to being socialized female where it's not okay to stand up for what you want and, you know, all of the boundaries and the gaslighting that goes around setting them. But that's a whole other story (laughs) that we can talk about some other time, maybe on a podcast, maybe not. Oh my gosh. I love that though. Okay. So since we're on neuroscience, let's talk about ADHD. Mm. And you specifically first, and then you were, you had some stuff about seeing that in the leadership world as well. Yeah. So um, my, my third good life story goes to, yeah. I mean, and I have plenty of them, but these were just the top three that came to exactly. mind. Exactly. Top yeah. three today. We can always do a repeat. Yeah. Top three today. <laughs> um, so in September of last year, I've had people ask me if I had ADHD before, and I think I had some... And by I think, I know I had some like much, much resistance because I didn't, there was part of me that was firmly planted in the, nope, you just, you have the power to change your brain and you can figure it out and you just have to work through it. And, you know, it's just you avoiding things. Like I had some super judgment and resistance around it. And finally, when somebody that I know, love and trust asked me about it and then sent me a couple of like TikToks. Hi, welcome to TikTok. And yep. you know, there is all of this like self-diagnosis through TikTok is not valid, but being able to learn. I don't about- know. Like there's a lot of good stuff out there. Like I know more people who've yeah. gone through what you're talking about where they saw a really great, honest video by someone talking about their experience that made them go and, and yep. find out. And that's it exactly, wasn't the, I now know it's, I'm going to go learn. Yep. And that's exactly what it was. It was seeing a number of videos that were talking about things that 
I just thought were normal and didn't understand why other people didn't get it the same way I did. So tell me a couple of those things, because I feel like there's a lot of people who might need to go watch those videos that have no idea, you know, what were, when you're thinking of those videos, which ones were coming to mind? So I'll, I'll, I'll share not the video specifically. Yeah. Although actually I, w- I will share one video specifically because it's the one that I can always remember because it yeah. was one of the first few. It was a father who had two sons. One was neurodivergence yeah. um, with ADHD and one was neurotypical. And he sat them down and he said, please, I need you to do these tasks. And there were like three tasks. Please make a list of what you need to do to get them done. The neurotypical son made a list of five things and was done. 15 minutes later, the neurodiverse kid was still writing his list of all of the components of the things needed to do the tasks. Emptying the dishwasher is not just emptying the dishwasher. Emptying the dishwasher is going into the kitchen, making sure the counter's clean, checking to make sure all the dishes are already put away so that you have a clean space, then opening the dish, dishwasher, looking at things, and then the, the, the laundry room is right near where the dishwasher is, so it's also making sure that you've done the laundry. Like, the, the amount of layers of things that feed into one task as somebody with ADHD are super complex, but that feeds into the superpower of being able to see all of the things. Right. Right. So like the, the flip is that it is incredibly stunting. And this is where they look at, you look at um, executive dysfunction and this is, this is what that is. It's like starting a task is so overwhelming because you can see all of the little tiny parts to the task and you can't, it's not just, empty the dishwasher. It's like all of the things that surround that. And then after you, the empty the dishwasher, then you have to do this. And then, and then you should probably clean the kitchen and you should do, there's so many layers. So, so can I ask a question, Andrea, like when you you're describing this, like this is a fascinating, I love the description of that video. I feel like that's really clear. And especially for a parent with two children, I feel like that becomes a, like that dad, that was a perfect way to illustrate that because it's a, it seems Mm-hmm. like a really simple thing. Yeah. So when you're describing all this and all the data that goes into like literally emptying the dishwasher, what a beautiful illustration, because we think you walk in the room and you empty the dishwasher. Like you don't think about all the things on the way. That sounds like, like even that ordinary task would feel overwhelming. Well, yes, it absolutely does. And this is where my diagnosis actually contributed to me being able to work through some of the stuff with my divorce because a number of the things that my ex-husband listed in his litany of things that were challenging for him about the relationship was one was specifically I had had a bunch of boxes as a result of a lot of Amazon orders, as a result of things that I do for coloring Broadway because yeah. it was, you know, yeah. Christmas ish, which of course starts in actually September. (laughs) So (laughs) I had like this pile of boxes in the backyard, which he could see from, from the bedroom window, which because of COVID was his office at the the time. 
And so he was so upset that I left those boxes for so long, like months. I was just doing other things and it was like, I would walk past them and I would think, oh, I've got to do them. But then of course, like, but it's all the things. Yeah. Initiation is also another big thing. If I can actually start the task, I can finish the task, but starting the task is really hard. Um, And so you know, with, with where I was in, in my emotional response at the time that was happening, I, I, I couldn't think through it. But with an ADHD diagnosis, I can look at that and just go, that was absolutely a task initiation task, not task avoidance, but just an executive dysfunction mm-hmm. point. And had he at any point said, hey, I can't look at those boxes anymore. Could you right. do that? This is I really sh- bothering me. The yeah. shame inherent in me, you know, like, it's not that I didn't know I shouldn't do that. I should, I shouldn't, you know, clean Mm -hmm. them up. Like I very well knew every time I passed them, there was a little like chip in that like shame armor of like, Oh (laughs) God, I should do that. They're still there. (laughs) So had he said anything, the shame, which is a very big motivator for people with ADHD, because their brains don't work like other people's do. And so we operate on this, like, I'm not good enough sort of plain because I can't do things the way that other people do. Like it would have kicked that, that shame right into gear and I would have cleaned them up that day. And it would have been done. Yeah. And it would have been done. Fascinating. Yeah. But since he never said anything, it, it was okay. It stayed. It it stayed. Right. So like, it's interesting to look back and, and he was very upset that like his, um, his, my father-in-law had come and was like, Hey, do you need help? Let me do the boxes for you. And he was like, but my dad had to come and do the boxes for, I was like, had you told me I would have taken care of them because then the priority for me would have shifted based on, then it wasn't your priority. It would have been yeah, it would, it, it would have put it yeah. into a different, a different space. So yeah. task initiation, executive dysfunction, those things are huge. Another ADHD uh, <laughs> awareness that I have had is um, object impermanence. And I okay. have known Explain. this about me for a long, long time, but having a word for it was amazing. Um, and that word object impermanence means if I don't see it, I don't remember that it's there. It doesn't matter how smart I am. It doesn't matter how savvy I am. If that sweater that I absolutely freaking love is in a drawer that I don't see, I don't have any memory that it's there. <laughs> when I open that drawer, I'm like, oh my God, that's where it, oh my goodness. Like until I see it, I don't even remember that I have it. And so, so that's an ADHD, ADHD thing. Object impermanence. So if I see a text, uh, one of my, one of my compensatory measures is I will leave texts unread until I'm ready to respond to them. Because if I read them and then go on about my day, I have now forgotten that I got that text because I don't see it. Yeah. It's just Um, gone. It's just gone. It's just poof in my memory. It is also where like digital storage and how to set up my folder. So I remember where I put things. And if I put something in a folder and I forget what that structure is, it's hidden in a folder and I have no idea where the heck it is. So for me, 
organization in my physical space looks like everything's out so I can see it. Unless it's like my underwear drawer, which I have to go to in my sock drawer. Like I know where that is. I open it every day. I I see the socks. Well, it's all all the things are in the the, the drawer and it's a repetitive thing. So it's not, but if I put things that I only access once in a while in a drawer, I will forget that they are there. How funny. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny and sad and horrible all at the same time because again, going back to the shame, um, the shame spiral that comes with that is, Hey, why didn't you return my text? Hey, where's the thing that we were just using? Oh no. Right. Right. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Right. Yeah, I, I genuinely don't know. And, and, and that's where the, the shame happens is if you're a neurotypical and your brain does function where you can visually remember it. And I'm not saying that all. No, the, you're just saying this is like yeah. disclaimer is I'm yeah. not speaking for all neurodiverse people. I have my own version of neurodiversity that is not yeah. necessarily everybody's. It is a yeah. spectrum. It is not a linear sort of like one end to the other. It is a big circle of all of the things. Um, yeah. And I have some amazing ability to recall um, different things. I, mine, mine functions on an emotional spectrum rather than a fact retrieval spectrum. And that is also a a huge area of, of shame because when somebody wants facts, like just like um, object impermanence or object permanence, um, uh, it's like fact permanence permanence i can read it i can understand it cognitively but to access the actual access part yeah doesn't come quickly for me and that also is a, a place of like well you know this why can't you you know talk about you know why can't you remember the facts and i'm like yeah but to now awful. know that that's a that's a way that my brain functions rather than a moral deficiency in myself or a right or rather a, than you're just right? dumb exactly um yeah because yeah. <laughs> that's what it feels like it's exactly what yeah. it feels i mean like. i had i had a really good friend who was diagnosed with adhd after about four years after we graduated from high school and i you know kind of known him pre-hd meds and after hd meds and sitting with him at lunch on ADHD medication, I was just like, oh, hi, like <laughs> you're, you know, and he's like, yeah, he said, I really wish someone had diagnosed me younger. He says, because I just thought I was dumb. Mm-hmm. And, and for <laughs> me, it wasn't, it wasn't dumb. It was, it was being aware of being super smart from a place of like, I can synthesize mass right. amounts of information. Like I am super smart. And the way that I, I channeled that was by playing all of the academic, by, by jumping through all the academic hoops right. and working really hard. But then I would hit that point where like, it would be the, why, why can't you do this thing that somebody who's this smart quote unquote can should do. be able to do, but you can't. Right. Or that you're, or that you're falling behind. So organization is often challenging for ADHD peeps. Yeah. And then the third and final thing that I'll, since you, since you asked about executive function, um, uh, object permanence, object impermanence, and then, um, body doubling. 
what in the world is that? Outside of what I think of, like, you know, as in stunt people. You know? <laughs> uh, I was I was thinking of, like, <laughs> you know, in the ghost movies when <laughs> the ghost... Oh, right, <laughs> right. Oh, there's always that. Yeah, the alien <laughs> version as well, you know. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so, but body doubling is for ADHD peeps who need the dopamine hit of somebody in their space, the energy in their space, you know, at living alone after being with my ex-husband for seven or eight years um, and being alone in my house was a gigantic flip of energy in the home, whether it's good energy or not or bad energy, it's still people energy. And so this, like, as I said, I got diagnosed last September. So it's really only been, you know, eight months ish since I, I have had confirmation that, that this is the way my brain works. Um, but I remember like the, the, the guy came to fix the heater yeah, and I had been procrastinating, which is like an evil word for ADHD people. Cause they're not procrastinating. They just can't start the task. Um, yeah. But I had definitely had a whole bunch of stuff in the house that I needed to do. This lovely man came to work on my heater to do some stuff and was there for an hour and a half. And I got more done in my house in that hour and a half than I had in weeks. And I was just like, why? Why? This was before the diagnosis. I was like, why did just that, you know, just having someone in my house change my energy and change my ability to do something and to, and to initiate tasks and to get things done. And as I started learning about ADHD, body doubling is a thing. It's having that energy. Like, I don't need you to interact with me. I just need you to sit in the office. You can be doing your own thing. I don't need to talk to you. Just the fact just that a there's physical an, presence. another human there, which is why I always would go to a coffee shop. For me, a coffee shop is oh. a interested a needed shift because if not i'm just home by myself and there's no other energy or impetus interesting and so that awareness again things that that would get thrown at me is like why can't you just do the thing like you're home by yourself why can't you right. just you have all the time in the world you know <laughs> you know exactly do do the thing and i'm like Ugh. Um, or why do you keep going to coffee shops? It's expensive. It's a waste of money. You should just stay home and do it. You, you know, but yeah, yeah like, you don't yes, need to do that. Yes. And I do also like it applies to exercise. I am never going to be the person who does exercise by myself at my home. Right. With nobody else around. Yeah. I am, I need to go to a class. I need to go to a place in which other people are doing the activity or just being there. And then I can, then I can, I can shift. And so now we, I have, you know, body doubling calls with my sister where I do the laundry and I clean the bathrooms and I do the things and she's doing whatever it is she needs to get done. But she's with you, but we're doing it with each other on the phone and we're both getting things done. Versus had we not called each other, you know, and and I do that with other friends of mine as well. And we call it a body doubling session. Like, all right, what do you need to get done? What do I need to get done? All right, let's go. I feel like you need to, you need to rename it to your wonder twins call. 
(laughs) Wonder twin powers activate. Yes, because that's totally it. You know, it's you can't do it without the other one. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you can't do it without somebody else in the room. And there's there's also other reasons that, you know, emotional regulation is also very challenging for people with ADHD. There is a tendency because you see all of the things to feel all all of the things as if your dial is turned up to 11. Um, to, you know, not miss the opportunity to reference spinal tap at any moment (laughs) up to 11. Um, 11. 11. and, uh, so with that, um, like you feel things much, I don't know, much more deeply. It, it really is like, it's not, it's not a question. When you describe it though, when I think about, you know, and for people who I've known, I I know lots of neurodivergent people. Um, but in this sense of when you, if you've never sat with this concept and thought about it, if you think about Andrea's example of the dishwasher, that, you know, the concept of how complicated that task can become. If you think about being in the middle of an emotional situation, any emotional situation, even excitement, it doesn't have to be a bad one. Just excitement could feel very, very different because you're receiving so much more. And you're like, if you're in a room with more than one person, you're receiving all the inputs instead of where people who don't have that issue are probably better able to just process what's coming from the individual. Mm -hmm. And wow. Yeah. And, and to think of that is neurodivergence who feel all of this stuff and therefore might express it with that dial turned up to 11 are told right. from a very young age to stop being too much. You're yeah. just over-exaggerating. And so the, the last but definitely not least part of this is the whole concept of masking. Yeah. And yeah. to realize that you live as a neurodivergent, you live your life through this mask and the mask means you don't ever really get to know who you are because everything is funneled through how do I be acceptable to all of these people who keep telling me that my normal reactions, my normal reactions yeah, are unacceptable. So I right. now have to put on this costume, this mask to, to interact with them. And then you get really good at that. And then you lose sight of who you actually are outside of that mask. And this is something that I have always known about myself is that I am a chameleon. You drop me in any situation and I will thrive because I will read the room. I will notice all of the different players in the room and I will adapt and I will put on whatever costume or mask is necessary to be, to be successful in that situation. And then I will go home and I will be emotionally exhausted but I won't know that I was emotionally exhausted because I didn't actually know that I was doing this actively. I I just thought that it was me. And it is just me because it's how I've learned to adapt to a world that's told me I was too much for all, so, all sorts of reasons. And yeah, but then the flip side of it is the existential crisis of then who am I actually? Well, and, and, what, and how, how do you me? navigate, how do you navigate better becoming yourself in those situations? You know, like now that you have that really good skill, which I think has served you in many ways, but like maybe isn't the thing you 
it's like the costume that you got so good at wearing and then you realized you don't like it anymore, but it's kind of stuck. <laughs> I'm going to yes. And it's good. not, it's not the costume that you liked. It's the costume that, that you didn't realize wasn't you. Mm. It's like, yeah. it's, it it's dis it's body dysmorphia from a, from a personality it's personality dysmorphia is exactly yeah. what it is it's when you look at it and you go well that's not me but what is me right like i remember conversations with my ex and you know there is an irony because he and i both worked in the executive coaching do the deep work <laughs> space yeah. and we didn't use our tools with each other. So that is its own conversation outside of all of this. But I remember yeah. conversations when, when things were good and we were talking about this where I was articulating this years and years before I right. realized that ADHD played a role in this. And I have like, I have spent so much time crafting who I am to please those around me not realizing why I was doing it or what, what maybe an impetus was for that, that, you know, when people are like, well, what do you want? And I'm like, oh, you know, whatever, what, what, what works because I, and again, both superpower and not um, it, superpower and kryptonite, right. Is right. My, the superpower is I really can be super flexible and enjoy whatever situation I am in because those around me are enjoying it. And I'm yeah. super open to new things because great. The kryptonite part of it is I can't, I don't say no. I don't say no. I don't want to go to this. I don't say, I don't, I, I'm, I don't know what is me and what I like and dislike. Right. Because you've spent so much time masking. Yep. That. Yeah. Like what, what really is me or what is just, a habit that I have developed as a result of 40 plus years of masking. Right. I mean, I would probably say 47 plus years of masking. Cause I'm guessing from one to three, I didn't really. <laughs> yeah. You didn't know mask. how to do it. Yeah. But yeah. Probably about, about four or five is when, you know, like my way of being and my way of being overly exuberant, I was yeah. starting to be told, you know, Hey, tone it down. Hey, don't, yeah, yeah. you know, don't get so excited about things. And yeah. that's where it starts is being told at a very young age that, that your way of feeling things and your natural responses are too much for other people. Yeah. Which is like the flip side of ADHD is they, you know, when you get a diagnosis, people start, well, you know, just, just drop the mask, just be yourself. And I'm like, <laughs> that is undoing a lot of years of a lot so that's like it's funny. not just as simple as just be right, yourself of course right, not thanks. but i mean it's it's like anything like trying to change something foundational about yourself i mean we suck at changing ourselves so you yeah. know just that's it okay so you started to talk about superpowers <laughs> and we talked about wonder twin powers which i love Even mm -hmm. i think that's better than superpowers but i always ask people what their superpower is so you said that your superpower is synthesis and i feel like we just covered some of this with yeah your, ADHD. But tell me a little bit more about like when you were when when I asked you what your superpower was and you said synthesis, what were you thinking? So synthesis for me, um, and I will I will share that like 
if if I were be to to be equated to somebody, um, Malcolm Gladwell would be like my ideal person because he takes all of these seemingly disparate concepts and finds the through line that connects them all. And so when I say my superpower is synthesis, that is what it's like for me in my head when I'm listening to you or listening to somebody talk about one thing and my head is like a fireworks display of this is the one concept and it relates to this over here, this over here, this over here, and it kind of relates to this over here. And I can see how if you twist it, it could relate like in my head all of the time. Yep. 15,000 things are happening. Yeah. And I have known that this has always been my superpower. Now I know that it is also related to (laughs) diagnosis as well, but like to be able to listen. And I love that I can use this as a coach as well, is that I listen to both the content and the context of what my client might be sharing with me. And my job is, is to synthesize what I'm hearing and share it back to them in a way of, Hey, here's what I heard you say. And here's what I also observe that you're doing. And there seems to be a disconnect. Tell me more. Or, hey, here's what I heard you say. Is that correct? And they're like, oh, I said that? No, I meant X. And, you know, like, so I love that I get to use my superpower as as part of what I do for a living. Um, And at the same time, the kryptonite part of the superpower is, you know, you don't necessarily want to watch TV or or (laughs) a movie or theater with me because I'll be like, Oh yeah. And this, and this, and this is how this could relate to this. You're like, I just wanted to watch the damn movie. <laughs> yeah. Just want to watch the movie. I can't, yeah. I can't do that. And so when I, when I do like the flip to that, that's masking for me is right. if we go to a movie and I don't pick it apart and, and evaluate it. Well, I and you mas- sh- and I am just, masking and because yeah. 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 To do that. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. means I am repressing my natural like tendencies and, and what's going on in my set my my head, I am just dampening that. I'm yeah. like Yeah. And then yeah. it's not as fun for me because right. I don't get because to Because you're having yeah. to turn part of yourself off. Yeah. Okay, so what's the first quote that comes to mind when I ask you because you said you had so many? Well, the first quote that I use in all of the things that I teach and, 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 um, and, you know, when I work as a facilitator, when I work in this is if you don't know, you can't grow. And that is, I don't know that I heard that anywhere. That was just mine that I came up with. And I'm going to hold it as my favorite, my favorite quote is because it's, if you don't Mm -hmm. do the work to observe yourself, if you don't know you can't actually grow. You you will stay in automatic pattern and habit. Yeah. And yeah. that's not anywhere I want to be. Even though <laughs> no. it's so much easier. Can I just have, I, I often will say, can I just have an untransformed moment for a second? Just, yeah. Then throw my the little tantrum and then be on the flip yes. side. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, um, okay. And then the so, other the other one that came up when I was yeah. when I was thinking about it is a line from Waitress. Um, and the line in the song um, that really gets me is she's messy, but she's kind. 
but let me, uh, <laughs> yes. Um, hold on. I feel like for you, she's messy and she's mm-hmm. kind. Well, I mean, yeah, I, the, 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 butt, the, yeah. Uh, the butt is, 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 is a negator that I don't necessarily like. Um, but the full lyric is she's imperfect, but she tries and I can't, whew, I can never, ever get through this without crying. Okay. She is imperfect, but she tries. She is good, but she lies. She is hard on herself. She is broken and won't ask for help. She is messy, but she's kind. She is lonely most of the time. She is all this mixed up and baked in a beautiful pie. And it's it's Sarah Bareilles' interpretation of the movie Waitress into um, one of the most beautiful uh, musicals that I've seen. But that lyric just captures... It just captures what I think the experience of, for me, being me with all of the diagnoses and and other things going on, but also what it means to be raised female in our society. Yeah. Like there's just so many layers to that. And I have talked to a dear, a a good friend of mine who is a dramaturg and works in Broadway and, and all of that. And, and he is a gay man. And he's like, yeah, you know, I went to see a waitress and all of these women were just sobbing and I, I couldn't figure out why it was so moving for them. And I was like, yeah, I've never been a woman. (laughs) Like you've never been, never socialized to do all of this and, and all of that. So I just yeah, that's that's truly beautiful and thank you for being so vulnerable Andrea because I, I feel like those words speak there's just listening to them from you just yeah <laughs> and, and and for me I think the she's messy but she's kind just really it is is like the, the quintessential it's like I'm just a human and human yeah. is messy and yes. at the same time I am also a good human and I am kind yeah and, and there's room for both of it. So like, I, I love this as almost a mantra of like yeah. self-acceptance of all yes. of the, all of the, the stuff that's in us is baked in a beautiful pie. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, it's all of the parts that make the pie so tasty. Yes. So there. Very much so. Very yeah. much so. Okay. So one thing that you want to get done in the next year. <laughs> I want to wrap all of my financial things that I need to take care of in a bow. <laughs> and I say that because I have a number of things that are in existence and my financial, maybe say lack of a financial wheelhouse, right? Like a yeah. developing some skills in the financial arena, um, yeah. getting, with the divorce and, and with that, it it just left a number of things and decisions I had made for money for starting my own business, et cetera, just show up in a different way. And so if there was one thing I could do in the next one year, it would be to put all of those things into the right place. Like if, you know, if there's a toggle switch and like flip them all to done, Right. And the freedom that's on the other side of that is yeah. really what I'm looking at. It's not, it's not a, like, I just need to get my financials done. It's 
I see them at, see this as a, is as the door that I need to unlock in order to get through to the next phase yeah. is as part of that is, is tying all of those things in a bow so that, yes. so that they're doing it. I love it. So, okay. And the last thing, so would you shine a spotlight on right now? So I would, as we talked about ADHD, I would shine a spotlight on neurodivergence and people understanding what that's actually like. And I don't mean neurodivergence understanding what that's actually like. I mean, neurotypicals understanding that it's not just a buzzword, that it's not just this thing that everybody is self-diagnosing, um, especially women. Uh, and I want it to be not an excuse. That is, yes, absolutely. And that's what I mean by shining a light. And yeah, I think about that from the area of coaching because as coaching is such a powerful way to help people shift and think about where they want to move forward, when you're coaching a neurodivergent, it's a different space. Yeah. And if you know neurodivergence and what they have to go through and you under, and you start to learn about that, you coach them from a different place. Yeah. Et cetera. Um, and I have, I have two examples. So yeah. one is when I was first working with my first coach ever, um, I was completely unaware I was neurodivergent. I knew I people pleased, but like, that's, yeah. you know, whatever. But that seems but, like something everyone does. Yeah. Right. Like that's not just a neurodivergent thing. That's a, you know, who knows what everybody does that. Yeah. Right. But it tends to, you know, it tends to be pervasive in the, in the ADHD community because wanting to be accepted. So I remember working with my coach and he would suggest things to work on and, and, and practices to do. And I would just say yes, with the full intent of, of doing them, which is yeah. also an ADHD thing where you're super excited in the moment. And then the yeah. dopamine wears off and you're like, crap, what did I agree to? Um, but the other part was just saying yes, because this person who was hierarchically yeah. more important than me in my brain told me to do it. And then we would get to a point where he would, he would say, Hey, I noticed you're not doing the practices. Can we try a different way? Well, I heard that as super rejection and super, um, criticism of, I wasn't doing it. I was not enough totally through my ADHD filters of, you yeah. know, the, the things. And had he known more about ADHD and had I known that I was ADHD and we could have had that conversation, yeah. those practices in the first place might have been given in a different way that had me being able to execute on them or that had me being a, had him checking and saying, Hey, is this you agreeing or is this your ADHD just saying yes in the moment? Right. Like right. just, yeah, you're just calling it out. Yeah. Where are we? That would be so phenomenal for, for people. And then my other example of this is um, going to the doctor is a huge challenge for me for many reasons, not only because ADHD, but also I have been a fat kid and fat adult um, and doctors don't necessarily like to believe you. Um, and But with that, I have been challenged with some numb toes and other things that I've been trying to figure out, spinal stuff, yada, yada. 
Um, and I went to the doctor for an appointment recently post-diagnosis and he decided to not do the treatment that I thought we were going to do, shift gears and say, well, I think you just need to do these exercises. Here's the, here's the papers of how to do the exercises. You can do them at home, right? Let's flash back to what we just talked about. <laughs> that, that doesn't work for me. So I said, hey, I have ADHD. That doesn't work for me. I will need a PT um, a right. prescription so that I can go and work with somebody because I, I, I won't do them at home. And he looked at me, he sat down and he put his hand on my knee. Oh no. And he said, well, are you just afraid of exercise? And I wanted to fucking punch him. And I'm mm -hmm. sorry for swearing, but that was the, okay. the reaction. Like that man who is younger than me, um, condescended so much and did not listen to the fact that I had to advocate for myself yep. with my diagnosis and he completely threw that out and he made it my fault and my bad and shamed me. Are you just afraid of exercise? No, I actually go boxing five to six days a week. I have, I have do this dance class. Yeah. This is not somebody who just because I'm in a bigger body does not exercise. Yeah. But he, he did not see any of that, even when I advocated verbally for what I needed. And so if, if we could have people start to understand what people with ADHD and neurodivergent people have to go through in order to advocate for themselves and be right. aware of it and work with them where they're coming from, the world would be a better place for yeah. us. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So, oh my goodness. Okay. So Andrea, I'm going to conclude for the moment um, and just say thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your good life stories. I absolutely loved having you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. I loved being here. And thanks for the opportunity to talk about things that I didn't know we were going to talk about. We didn't talk about color <laughs> Broadway or any. <laughs> exactly. That's okay. We'll get to that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks so much for listening to Good Life Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please visit our website at goodlifestories.com for more show notes and additional episodes. Please subscribe and consider rating and reviewing the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts to help others connect to us. Who do you know with a good life story? I would love to hear from you. Good Life Stories, creating connection. One story at a time.